in Revelation 20. Let's uh, do a little bit of review just before we get there. Um, last week, um, we as we began looking at Revelation 20, we did a little bit of background before uh, we got there. I handed out blank sheets to you so you could, you could uh, uh, take your own notes. But we saw, as we look in the book of Revelation, you see that Satan is introduced as a red uh, dragon in uh, chapter 12. And that's where uh, the woman gives birth to a child. He tries to destroy it, but the child goes back, uh, gets away from it, goes back into heaven, and he goes after the rest of the woman's offspring. Uh, that would be us. And, and so he's, he's, uh, uh, just, he's actually cast out there, too, um, and, and get down to earth. Um, and so he's very upset. So he's introduced kind of in chapter 12 as the... Uh, one who's going to be coming after um, the, the woman and her child and the other children, which we, we would say is the church. We see the, bird, the, the beast out of the sea and out of the earth, uh, and the beast out of the earth will later become known as the false prophet. They're introduced in chapter 13. And then uh, we see Babylon as uh, the prostitute introduced in chapter 17. Now, we, we see that these three, Satan and the beast and the false prophet, are Satan's counterfeits, kind of a, a counterfeit trinity. And, um, and Babylon, therefore, would be a counterfeit uh, church. Uh, and uh, so all of those who... And it's interesting that you see Babylon, even in the Old Testament, I don't know that we went over this that well, but we did see Babylon at the beginning of Daniel, where Babylon comes and surrounds the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem represented the people of God, the, the, and the kingdom of God, and the city of Babylon, therefore, would represent the kingdom of man and the city of man. And so uh, you see these things. And so Babylon, as the prostitute, is the kingdom of man as opposed to the kingdom of God. And so we see that. And um, Babylon, in chapter 18, is destroyed. And you see it's kind of in reverse order as, as it was introduced. Babylon is destroyed. In chapter 18, in chapter 9, in chapter 18, when it's destroyed, uh, the people of God are told to rejoice. And in the beginning of chapter 19, they're doing that. Um, in chapter 19, verse 2, we're reminded from chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. In chapter 6, 11 and 12, you see the saints under the altar have been martyred. And they say, how long before we're avenged for this? And then we see that. In 19.2, when, when uh, Babylon is destroyed, the servants are avenged. All the way from 6.10 to 11. We also see in chapter 19, at the destruction of Babylon, a marriage feast. The marriage feast of the, of the Lamb. And uh, we see that again in uh, Revelation 21. I think we, we may uh, come back to that, this whole idea a little bit later. Then, in, uh, again, in, in reverse order, you have A, B, C here, uh, Satan, the beast, and, and Babylon, the, the unholy trinity and the unholy uh, bride, uh, which is a prostitute, uh, and then she's destroyed, and then, uh, then we go to, to the beast and the false prophet. They're, just, they're defeated and, in chapter 19, and then... Uh, again, we see in chapter 20 where Satan is defeated. This, this type of structure you find a lot in Scripture, and it's called chiasm. Chiasm, and that comes from 
It comes from the Greek, uh, a Greek letter, chi. And so you see the table, you see the way it looks here is it goes like this. And so um, so it would be the, the scripture does this quite often. They introduce something in one place, they introduce the second thing and then the third thing, and then they come back to them in reverse order. And so that's not an unusual way for scripture to deal with things. It's called a, a chiasm. And so that's kind of in the structure of scripture that, that is the way it's happening. And we certainly see these things um, going on here um, where, where we, we see the introduction of Satan, the introduction of beast and false prophet, the introduction of Babylon, and then the, the destruction and the defeat of Babylon, the defeat of the beast and the false prophet. And, and in chapter 20, we do see Satan uh, defeated. And um, so it's just kind of a, a way it's structured here, the way the Lord had it structured to give to uh, John to give to us. Um, <clears throat> now, well, let's, let's go right into chapter 20 then. Um, and let's, let's read um, what we have here. We will, let's read the, the first 10 verses of uh, Revelation 20. Uh, I don't think anybody will have trouble. That is the last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 20, um, volunteer to read the first 10 verses. Was that a hand? Okay, go for it. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the, Lord, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Thank you. Hand out. Tonight we have different notes. We didn't... Gave you blank last week. Now we have um, several pages front and back. So now, as we approach this chapter, I want to remind you of some things before we get into details in it. <clears throat> Do you only have three? 
Okay. Remind you, now, the first one, I'm sorry. This is just the way it, it came out. I thought I had it right, but you, you're going to see on the back there's a couple of chapters from the Westminster Confession. Um, is it review? It's, it's, it's upside down on the back of the first page. But I want to remind you, as we get into this, about how we interpret Scripture, okay? And these are some basic rules for interpreting Scripture. This is something from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and I want us to read these uh, couple of paragraphs here to remind us um, just some basic rules for interpreting Scripture. The meaning of all passages in the Bible are not equally obvious, nor is any individual passage equally clear to everyone. What have we said so far? It's not equally clear, right? Not everything's as clear as everything else. Um, and that some things may be more clear to one person than another. Um, what did Peter say about what did Peter say about the writing? It's on the first sheet, on the first sheet on there. Yeah, it's it's upside down on the back there. What did Peter say about the writing of Paul? He referred to it as scripture and said that people twist it. Yeah, and, and like they do other scriptures they don't understand. Yeah, he said some of it's pretty hard to understand, right? Peter could say that about some of Paul's writings. I'm, I take comfort when I try to teach some of it. Man, that's <laughs> difficult. And, um, but he does call it scripture. And so we do know that even for scripture writers, some of the other scriptures saw that it was difficult to understand. Not everything is equally as clear as everything else. However, we go on to the second, <clears throat> second uh, uh, sentence there. However, everything which we have to know, believe, or observe in order to be saved is so clearly presented and revealed somewhere in the Bible that the uneducated as well as the educated can sufficiently understand it by proper use of ordinary means of grace. Okay? So not everything is equally clear, but what is clear is how we're to be saved. That's, that's pretty clear is what they're saying. But that all scripture is not equally clear, it's not as obvious to everyone else, okay? So that's one thing. But, so how do we, how do we try to understand it? And this is where uh, paragraph nine of the first chapter says, the infallible standard of, interpreting, of interpretation of the Bible is the Bible itself. The Bible is what we use to interpret the Bible. And so any question about the true and complete sense of a passage in the Bible, which is a unified whole, can be answered by referring to other passages which speak more clearly. Okay, now this is important for us to remember, especially not so much tonight as, uh, as, as, as uh, in, in weeks to come. We're going to definitely come back to that, seeing that uh, we interpret the Bible uh, with the Bible. Oh, Mrs. Dodd. Were your ears burning? Is your hearing aid in? <laughs> we won't give you the merits this time. We're not. We're not worried. Okay, so 
Scripture is to interpret Scripture. Not all Scripture is equally clear. And when um, a, a basic rule of interpreting the Scripture is that we should inform our understanding of the less clear passages of Scripture with more clear passages of Scripture. Okay? And so that's, that, those are just some basic rules I wanted us to kind of review as we get into this. Now, the first page here, after we get through this little, we did a little review of where we've been with this, and, and now we talk about so some basic rules of interpreting the Bible, um, that Scripture interprets the Bible, that Scripture interprets Scripture, and that uh, the less clear passages are to be interpreted or informed uh, by more, uh, more clear passage. Okay? Not the other way around. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to read this for you because I don't want any misunderstanding about this. I don't want anybody coming up and saying, uh, the, the, I didn't tell you this. Okay, So, uh, so let's, let's read it here. Revelation is written in a genre, that's a type, of literature called apocalyptic. A genre more familiar to those in the first century than to us today. Interpretations of the book vary greatly, thus reinforcing the fact that Revelation is to us a less clear portion of Scripture. Yet, we realize that, it, that Revelation is given to Christians as a part of God's inspired word, and we are therefore to do our best to understand it. In Revelation, John is continually revealing what he sees. The phrase, I saw, is used at least 35 times in the book, and the phrase, I heard, is used 25 times. Revelation is a picture book, not a puzzle book. The pictures that John describes in the book are often different angles of the same event, similar to what one would expect if he were looking to see pictures of a car for sale. You would see one picture would be from the front right and the next from the back right and the next from the interior front and, and so on. So you get a full picture of the car. All the pictures of the car from different angles so that the full picture of the car is then available. The retelling of the same event from different perspectives is called recapitulation. All right, I, uh, we're going to use that word some more. We're going to come back to that word. Recapitulation is the retelling of a same event from a different perspective. You've heard the story about the blind people who get to the elephant and one feels its trunk and the other its legs and another its tail and they describe what they're feeling and they don't think it's the same animal, but it is the same animal. They're just telling it from different perspectives, right? Well, Revelation, I believe, is, is a book that is telling uh, and retelling uh, uh, some of the same events from different perspectives called recapitulation. We're going to see that, and, and hopefully you'll see, I don't think anyone disagrees with this. You might disagree on where certain things retell a story, but I don't think there, that there's any uh, legitimate student of Scripture who <coughs> has looked at it that would not say that, yes, there's retelling of the same story in the book of Revelation. So it, uh, it seems that a proper understanding of Revelation, then, is one that understands not so much every detail of the descriptions found in the book, rather a clear view of the big picture. What's the big picture that he's trying to get across? John was writing to the first century church, which was undergoing persecution and tribulation. The book of Revelation is, to, uh, is written to assure the churches from the first century until the time of Christ's return that God is in charge. He's aware of the difficulties we're going through and have yet to face. 
He knows the injustice being done to his church. He reassures his people that justice will ultimately be done and that those who uh, persevere to the end will know great reward. Revelation is therefore encouragement to God's people to stand in the face of tribulation. Revelation 20 is possibly the most variously interpreted and controversial chapter in Revelation and possibly the whole Bible. Uh, I want to show you what I believe about Revelation 20 and why I believe as I do. I will attempt to be as persuasive as I can. Still, probably not everyone's going to agree with me as persuasive as I can be. <laughs> well, anyway, that's, that's okay. Uh, one's understanding of Revelation 20 is not essential to salvation or to one's sanctification. Let me read it again. One's understanding of Revelation 20 is not essential to salvation or to one's sanctification. One more time. One's understanding of Revelation 20 is not essential to salvation or to one's sanctification. You don't have to agree with me, but I would ask that you at least attempt to understand the position that for me makes the most sense of Revelation 20 and all the Bible's teaching on the end times. Okay? When Jesus returns, we may all find that we missed in a number of ways what should have been so obvious to us. Okay, that is kind of a, don't forget, I'm not saying that you have to believe like I do. Don't know why you would. Anyway, all right, now to the next page. Top of it says Christian Doctrine 52. You see I've done this before, okay? We've talked uh, about uh, some of these things with scripture, interpreting scripture. There's different types of literature, and the clearer passages are always to help us and inform us in our understanding of the less clear passages of scripture. Um, <clears throat> symbols are used throughout scripture. They're especially used in Revelation. We've got to understand them as being symbolic and not necessarily to be taken um, Explicitly, we, we do have to understand that. If it's meant to be taken uh, symbolically, we need to take it symbolically. We do not understand that trees have hands, right? And that they're waving to, to the sky. That's not in Revelation, but it is in Scripture, okay? So, um, Revelation 20 is the only passage in Scripture which speaks of the thousand years of Satan's bondage and of the saints ruling with Christ. Therefore, it is a very important passage for us to understand regarding a biblical millennial view. The word a thousand actually comes from a Latin word, uh, millennium, which means thousand. Uh, anyway, the book of Revelation is somewhat unique genre, a literature called apocalyptic. While this genre uh, was familiar to the first century believer, it's somewhat foreign to believers in the 21st century. The, that interpretation of the book of Revelation is difficult, expressed, uh, that interpretation of the book of Revelation is difficult as expressed by most Christian interpreters. Uh, and I've listed a few here. Some you may be familiar with, and I'm just going to read to you a few of these, okay? Uh, Milton Terry said, No portion of Holy Scripture has been the subject of so much controversy and so many varied interpretations. It's not just me saying this, okay? B.B. Warfield uh, said, Revelation is the most difficult book in the Bible. It has always been the most variously understood and most arbitrarily interpreted and the most exegetically tortured. <laughs> uh, M.R. Vincent, Vincent Word Studies, I believe, 
<clears throat> said the document has given rise to voluminous controversy. Uh, A.T. Robertson, perhaps no single book in the New Testament, presents so many and so formidable problems as the Apocalypse of John. Uh, George Eldon Ladd, <clears throat> Revelation is the most difficult of all the New Testament books to interpret. Uh, and Leon Morris, uh, some of the problems of this book are enormously difficult, and I certainly have not the capacity to solve them. Indeed, it is by uh, common consent one of the most difficult of all books in the Bible. Now, remember our... Uh, rule of interpretation the less clear is to be interpreted by the more clear so we we're not going to get into that so much tonight but we are going to get into it in weeks to come like i say the language of revelation again is highly symbolic we must strive to determine what is intended to be taken symbolically and what is not Instead of, we've already said this too, but we're going over it again. Instead of reading Revelation as a narrative, such as Acts, it must be understood as a book of, of, of visions which all reflect the same period of time from different angles. Recapitulation, there it is again. That, such as a snapshot of an item from different angles. The, the time period uh, in the, the, what it's dealing with, the snapshots, the pictures, are the time period reflected is the time from Christ's first advent, or from his ascension, I would say, until his second coming. And so from the time of Christ's uh, ascension, there you see in Acts chapter 1, until he returns, book of Revelation is dealing with this time period. Okay, And it's going to look at it from several different angles. Um, someone look up uh, Revelation uh, 11, <clears throat> 15 through 19. And you can read it loudly. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and have and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Okay, what time period is he dealing with here at the end of chapter 11? What's happening? That's the end. That's the end, right? <laughs> the end has come. God has judged and, and pronounced his judgment on those who have destroyed the, the world, who have uh, caused harm to his saints. And um, he has come, he's ruling, and everybody sees it. Uh, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Right? That's, that's the end, right? It's over. Now what do we see in chapter 12? 
A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon uh, under her feet, and with a crown of twelve stars on her head. And she was pregnant and cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. And another sign, before we see the dragon, another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven crowns, with seven heads and ten uh, horns and seven crowns on his head. And his tail swept uh, a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to the child, male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. <clears throat> her child was uh, snatched up to God and to his throne. What time is that talking Who's the woman? Well, it's actually Israel, but uh, she gives birth to a child. Who's the child? Who's the child that's going to rule forever and ever? Jesus. Christ. Christ. He's born. But chapter 11 ends with the end of time. Chapter 12 is beginning again with Christ, isn't it? So we see that this is certainly the way it's going to deal as far as is, is time is concerned. He's going to deal with, with it from one perspective. In chapter 12, he's beginning to deal with things in a totally new perspective here. But, but you see this sort of thing happening. So that was just one example where I think you will see that uh, there is what is called uh, a, a recapitulation. He, he gets to the end, at the end of chapter 11, and picks it up back at the beginning with Christ in chapter 12. <clears throat> now, with that in mind, as we come to chapter 20... Um, there's some there's some difficult questions from chapter 20 when we come to it. With, in this regard, in regard to the idea of recapitulation or retelling, okay? And in order for us to understand chapter, Revelation 20, there are several questions that we need to have answered. Um, the first thing is, is Revelation 20 a recapitulation of what's come before in the book of Revelation? Or is, to, or is it to be understood as chronologically or temporally following, following from Revelation 19? This makes, a, this makes a big difference, okay, um, as to how we will interpret Revelation chapter 20. Does it, is it intended to be thought of as a continuation of time from Revelation 19 and Revelation 20 just continues on right, uh, in, in that same order? Or is it going to go back and retell a story from a different perspective? And so um, with that in mind, uh, there are other things that we're going to have to answer. And you see those. I'll list seven of them uh, on here, seven things that we need to understand about uh, Revelation chapter 20. But uh, let's, let's deal with the first thing. Uh, is it uh, chronologically following from chapter 19, or is it a retelling of a, a part of this story from a different angle, okay? Um, <clears throat> should chapter 20 be understood as chronologically following chapter 19? The premillennial, and this is from Anthony Hochman, who was a theologian, uh, Dutch guy. Says anyway, the uh, the premillennial interpretation of these verses sees them as describing a millennial reign of Christ on earth, which will occur after His second coming. And it is true that the second coming of Christ has been referred to in the previous chapter, chapter 19, uh, verses 11 through 16. If then one thinks Revelation 20 as describing what follows chronologically. 
uh, after what is described in chapter 19, one would indeed conclude that the millennium of Revelation 20, 1 through 6, will come after the return of Christ. Okay? So at the end of chapter 19, we see Christ coming to battle and he's won. And if chapter 20 follows chronologically from that, then yes, it's going to happen after the return of Christ. And it talks about a millennium. And so that will, <clears throat> that will happen. Um, it, it will be... Um, you would have to be a, a premillennial if, if, if it is indeed that that's the case. Now I want, you, I want us to compare a few things here. Um, Revelation 12, 7 through 11. Someone want to... I'll tell you what, it's on the back. It's on the very back page, on the back side of it. You've got it because we're comparing it to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And I want you to see some similarities. If you've got your Bible open to Revelation 12, 7, and 21 through 6, you'll see these things. <clears throat> In Revelation 12, <clears throat> verse 7, we see that it is a heavenly scene. Let me read that to you if I can find it. And there was war in heaven. Definitely a heavenly scene, right? Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. It's a scene going on in heaven. The author tells us, John tells us, it's a scene in heaven. What do we see in Revelation 20, 1 through 6? And I saw an angel coming down from heaven. What's the setting? Well, it's a heavenly scene as well, right? It's Revelation 12, 7 through 11, and Revelation 20, uh, 1 through 6. Heavenly scene. Um, secondly, uh, there's an angelic uh, battle against Satan and his host uh, in, Revel in, in 12, verses 7 and 8. And I already read to you about uh, um, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Okay? And so we see uh, in Revelation 20, uh, verse 2, uh, he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, and the devil, or Satan, and he bound him uh, for a thousand years. So uh, there's this battle, angelic battle, once again going on an angel coming to do battle against Satan, and he's uh, binding him up and, uh, for a thousand years, okay? Um, third on here in Revelation 12, we see that Satan is cast to earth. Uh, verse 9, uh, the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent uh, called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Okay. And then in Revelation 20, what do we see um, with the, 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 the angel binding the serpent, seizing the dragon, the angel and binding him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and locked it over. So he's thrown into the abyss. Seeing some similarities here. Um, it goes on. Um, verse 9, we've, we've already read from chapter 12. The uh, angel's evil opponent called the great dragon, the ancient serpent, uh, called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Verse 9. And then in chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. Uh, verses 3 and 7 and 8. Um, he threw him in the abyss and locked him over and sealed it. Uh, to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore. So a thousand years were ended, and after that time he must be set free for a short time. 
Um, then down in verse 7, then the thousand years are over. Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to see the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore and so on. So the angels, uh, evil opponent called the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, is restrained from deceiving the nations anymore. He will be released later to deceive the nations of the four corners of the earth. You see a similarity here as well. The Satan, uh, the, the ancient serpent or the devil, uh, or Satan, leads the whole world astray. And here in chapter 20, we see it going on again. Um, in verse 12 of chapter 12, Satan is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Um, in verse 3, uh, Satan of chapter 20, he knows his time is short. Uh, he, the, the last sentence there, after that time he must be set free for a short time. Um, uh, verse 10 of chapter 12, Satan's fall uh, resulting in the kingdom of Christ and his saints. Let me read that to you, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, uh, now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God. Uh, for the authority of his Christ, for the accuser of the brothers who accuses them day and before the Lord day and night has been hurled down. And um, then in uh, chapter 20, fourth verse, I saw the thrones in which were seated uh, those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been headed uh, because of the testimony of Christ and because of the word of the Lord. Let's see Satan's fall resulting in the kingdom of Christ and his saints. Okay, And then uh, chapter 12, verse 11. Um, read that to you. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And then verse 4, again, of uh, chapter 20. Uh, the saints' uh, kingship based not on the fall of Satan, but on their faithfulness even to death because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. So you see some, some definite similarities here between the two, between what's going on in chapter 12, where, um, <clears throat> where we see part of the end going on. And so you have to ask, is, is it being retold in chapter 20? And I, I think that there is a good possibility it could be being retold in, in chapter 20, especially by looking at these similarities. Um, Revelation 19, verses uh, 15, uh, 14 and 15. What do we see here? And hopefully you'll remember this from last week. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horse and dressed in fine linen, uh, white and clean, out of the mouth. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, which will strike down the nations. He will rule them with iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury and the wrath of the Almighty. And then we see uh, some of the same sort of thing going on in, in uh, 20, verses 1 through 3. Um, quote from Kim Riddlebarger here. He says, uh, R. Fowler White points out the problem with premillennialism is that it makes no sense uh, to speak of pro protecting the nations from uh, deception by Satan in 20, verses 1 through 3, after they have been both deceived by Satan, 16, 13 through 16, and destroyed by Christ in 19, uh, 11 through 21. Okay. <clears throat>
At the end of chapter 19, the nations have been deceived, and they've gone to battle, and they've been destroyed. Right? We saw that, and, and that's at the end of chapter 19. Of course, the beast and his false prophet, the one who deceives, doing the work of deception, the false prophet, they're destroyed, right? The nations are destroyed. The false prophet is destroyed. He's not there any longer. Here in 21 through 3, Satan is bound and thrown into the abyss for a thousand years for what purpose? In verse 3. He, like, uh, he threw them into the abyss and locked and sealed it uh, over him. Why? That he might not deceive the nations anymore. So he won't deceive the nations anymore. The nations have been destroyed. The one who does the deceiving has been destroyed. So why does he need to be put into confinement so he can't deceive the nations anymore. Um, doesn't make too much sense, at least to me, if it is to follow chronologically. Now, here's the one I want you to remember, especially the description of the battle. Remember the description, the description of the battle when we looked at chapter 19? We looked at our cross-references. Where did we cross-reference that to? Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39, right? In Ezekiel 38 and 39, how does it describe the battle? you remember any of the details? Gog and Magog. It's called Gog and Magog. It's, it's a battle against Gog and Magog. And the description of the battle is that it's going to be so horrendous for the other side, right? Oh, yeah. And their soldiers are going to be dead. Their captains are going to be dead. And in Ezekiel 39, there's a call to who? Birds. birds, birds of prey to come and, and feast on the bodies of these dead opponents of God, right? Now we saw in Revelation uh, 20 um, verses uh, 17 and 18 a description, the same description of the same battle, right? And I saw the angel standing uh, in the sun who called in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, uh, free and slaves, small and great. It's the description of what we find in uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, right? And what's it called? The battle of what in Ezekiel 38 and 39? Gog and Magog. It's important. A description of the battle of Gog and Magog from Ezekiel 38 and 39. All right. Let's look in um, chapter 20. Where was that, by the way? That was chapter 19, right? Where we see the description that we find in Ezekiel 39. It's in chapter 19. In chapter 20, verse 7, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. What battle is this? Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog. Where is it described? Ezekiel 39. Where else? The chapter just before. The chapter just before. 
This battle, which is described almost word for word from Ezekiel 39, is found at the end of chapter 19, where the beast and his false prophet are destroyed. Okay? <clears throat> battle in chapter 20 is explicitly called the battle of Gog and Magog, which is described in Ezekiel 39 and in Revelation 19. Could it be the same battle? There are other reasons for believing that it is the same battle. Um, the word for battle uh, is used six times in the book of Revelation. First three times it comes without a pronoun. The, the last three times, is that the right word I'm using here? It comes with the word the on it, ton, whatever it is. So the last three times it is, it's called the battle. You find it in Revelation 16, you find it in Revelation 19, you find it in Revelation 20. It's called the battle. The battle. Not a battle, but the battle. Could it be that these are all talking about the same battle? I believe so. So, with that in mind, um, let's, let's read here. Uh, this is from Sam Storms. It says, in both texts, John drew uh, both uh, 19 and 20. In both texts, John drew heavily upon the imagery of the prophecy of Ezekiel 38 and 39, which described uh, the eschatological defeat of the mysterious Gog and Magog. That was from Kim Rillbar, not Sam Storms. Uh, Sam Storms says, There is evidence from Ezekiel 39, 17 through 20, that the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19 and the battle of Gog and Magog in Revelation 20 are one and the same. The Ezekiel passage describes an invitation of the birds of heaven to assemble for the purpose of consuming the flesh of those who played a role in the Gog-Magog revolt. But interestingly, this, passage, this Old Testament passage is cited in Revelation 19, 17 through 18, and applied to the great supper of God, which consummates uh, Armageddon. Uh, it would appear that Armageddon and Gog and Magog are the same event, not, entire, not two entirely different battles separated by a thousand years uh, interim, uh, Fowler White correctly concludes that if we are expected to interpret the revolts of Revelation 19 and 20 as different episodes in history, we would hardly expect John to describe them in language and imagery derived from the same episode in Ezekiel's prophecy. On the contrary, John's recapitulation, uh, recapitulated use of Ezekiel 38 and 39 in both 19, 17 through 21, 27 through 10, establishes a prima facie case for us to understand 20 verses 7 through 10 as a recapitulation of 19, 17 through 21. If 20 verses 7 through 10 is indeed a recapitulation of 19, 17 through 21, then 20 verses 7 through 10 narrates the demise of Satan and the second coming while 19, 17 through 21 uh, narrates the demise of the beast and the false prophet at the second coming. Any other interpretation of how to relate these two judgment scenes, both of which are modeled on Ezekiel 30 and 39, will have to bear the burden of proof. That's part of the reason for looking at this. Babylon is destroyed. The servants are avenged. Servants of God are avenged. Is there any more death to any more servants of God after they're avenged? I don't think so. Once Babylon is destroyed, there's a marriage feast 
of the lamb and his bride. Where do we see that next? I told you. Chapter 21. What has happened in chapter 21? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Christ has returned, hasn't he? Christ has returned. The end has happened. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully, beautifully dressed for her husband. End of chapter 21. A bride coming for her husband. There's a marriage feast right here. When this takes place. The kingdom of man against the kingdom of God is destroyed here. And immediately on it, there's a marriage feast. We see the marriage coming in Revelation 21. No question that that's after Revelation 20 and all things that happen there. And then the beast and the false prophet are destroyed with this battle. I'm thinking these come very close to the same time as right here. You see? This is just a, a description of the same things happening from a little bit of a different perspective. The beast and the false prophet are being destroyed. Babylon is destroyed, but almost simultaneously, the beast and the false prophet. Beast and false prophet are destroyed, and simultaneously, with the battle being the same one, from Ezekiel 38 and 39, Satan is destroyed. These chapters are dealing with the destruction of the um, of, of, of Satan's false um, what's the word we, were, we had last week the, when you, you have a false uh, currency and stuff. Uh, counterfeit. Counterfeit, yeah. These are, these are dealing with God's destruction of Satan's counterfeits. And each chapter is dealing with a different one of Satan's counterfeits from a different perspective. But my view, which is not gospel, but I'm saying because of these things, these are just three chapters that are dealing basically with the same issue from a little bit of a different perspective. The destruction of Babylon, the destruction of the beast and the false prophet, and then the destruction of Satan. Okay? Now there's a lot more to Revelation 20 that we gotta get to. And we don't have time tonight. And that's the reason I didn't put any more on here. <laughs> we, we will get to, I mean, because there's some difficult things we have to answer here. And, uh, and hopefully we, we will kind of get some of those things answered uh, next week. Again, I'm telling you, this is, this is what makes the most sense to me. And after we get done with looking at very specific things in, the, in this chapter as well, we are going to look at... Um, we're going to look at the rest of the New Testament, which I believe will be clearer teaching for us. And we'll see how it fits uh, in this and which view of Revelation 20 would fit with what I believe the best with the rest of the New Testament. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Let me pray for us.